Jonas Esposito, live, local, and progressive. The reason that I listen to you from the infamous other side, you will call a spade a spade, and if it's indefensible, you will not defend it. And you know what? I can respect that. I'm telling you, CPT 820. State Representative Cam Buckner was one of the first people to join the race to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago. And uh, he has been uh, steadfast as name after name after name joined him in that race. Uh, he was at our mayoral forum January 26th where we talked about what he's doing and what he wants to do. Actually, of all the candidates, uh, I think he got the most compliments from his fellow candidates, all talking about what a great guy he was and how they wanted to continue to work with him. Uh, Cam Buckner joins us now to talk to you, answer your questions, and talk about his candidacy. Cam, it is so delightful to have you back again. Thank you, John. It is so good to be here. You know, I was I was really surprised, you know, because there was some at each of these uh, contests. There's always some vitriol, but it's like nobody has anything bad to say about you. <laughs> well, listen, Joe, as you know, a lot of my uh, my opponents in this race have said that they agree with me in many of my policy platforms. And that, that day in January at your forum, uh, even Congressman Garcia said he would vote for me. Uh, if he wasn't in the race. And so, listen, um, I think that that shows that I have the ability to bring people together. You seem to. You you seem to be, you seem to almost be uh, above the fray, which is, um, which is kind of, which is kind of refreshing. You, by all accounts, by all of the polling, you are not one of the front runners in this race. Do you ever think that maybe uh, you would just throw your support to somebody else? Well, I'll say this, John. I, I um, have always been someone who is extremely um, uh, complimentary of the democratic process, right? Uh, people being able to come into the space and talk about their ideas and how to move folks forward, uh, to me, um, is is really the way that we move this city and this country and, and the state forward, right? But I also, um, you know, have been a, a person that believes that you fight. You, you fight because it's important to fight. Uh, as you know, that I've been in this race longer than anybody. In fact, I announced before the mayor even announced that she was running again, right? And so um, for me and the folks who have supported me, uh, it's really about making sure we do the right things to elevate the platform and to have conversations. And, John, I'll be very clear about this. Uh, I've been the underdog my entire life, Uh, and uh, I've been a person with a lot of money my entire life. And so when we see people throwing big bucks around in this race, uh, people trying to push folks out of this space, Mm -hmm. uh, I think everyone deserves a voice. And the reason uh, that I'm here is to continue to fight and, and to give their voice. And so, um, you know, we're two weeks away. We'll see what happens in the next, uh, you know, 13 days. But um, I am steadfast and, and on the track uh, to do the work to, to bring um, a, a chance and a choice to the people of Chicago. Kim, one of the questions that we got from one of our listeners, uh, Joyce, is, you know, there's nine people. There are nine people in the race. Uh, seven of those nine are African-Americans. And the thinking being that that was going to be a real problem because the African-American vote would be split. And that makes it that it makes it more likely that essentially Paul Vallis and Chewy Garcia, as the only white guy and the only Hispanic guy, might be the ones to make it into the runoff simply because the black vote is uh, strewn among so many different candidates. 
is is that a legitimate argument do you think and if so yes uh, if yes why if no why yeah, no it's not legitimate it's actually a very antiquated um and short-sighted myopic uh, argument if you ask me uh, we hear a lot of talk and a lot of conjecture about splitting the black vote uh, but for those folks who have said that or who have brought up that um, possibility uh, they can't give me any example of that actually happening in the history of Chicago. Uh, in fact, um, folks who point to, uh, you know, the, the, the Eugene Sawyer, uh, Tim Evans fight, that was a fight behind closed doors, well, maybe in public, uh, against, uh, among elected officials. But those gentlemen were never on a ballot together, right? Uh, and so when we talk about spending the black law, it, it doesn't happen. It hasn't happened in the history of this city. Uh, in fact, there are folks who would posit to you, Joan, that, uh, the last time that the vote was split in this city, it was white folks. It was um, the reason that Bill Daly may not be mayor today is because Joey Joyce entered the race, um, or Gary McCarthy entered the, entered, the, entered that race, right? And so, um, you know, I, I'll push back on that because there is no example of that happening. In fact, last time around in 2019, we had a number of black candidates, uh, including um, Amara Enya and LaShawn Ford and Willie Wilson and Neil Salas Griffin. Uh, and the final two vote getters, the highest two vote getters, were two black women who gave us a historical runoff. And so, uh, I would ask that folks put those old tropes to bed. They're racist, um, and they're not true. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that time has come. Uh, the other side of that coin, of course, is people telling me that Paul Vallis will never, even if he makes it into a runoff, Paul Vallis would never win because as a majority black and brown city, um, Chicago would never elect a white mayor again. But I agree with you. I think that the days, well, I'm not saying that some people don't vote based on some sort of shared commonality with a candidate, whether that's ethnicity or experience or an economic outlook. Uh, I'm not saying it's unheard of, but I think the days of voting for somebody simply because of their race are probably behind us. Do you agree? Do you agree that, let's say he's in the runoff, that Paul Vallis couldn't possibly win simply because he's white? Yeah, well, I don't I don't know, right? So, and I'll just I'll preface it by saying, uh, runoff, Chicago runoff math, um, and how we see these things, this is all brand new for us, right? In the long history of, of this city, we've only had two runoffs so far, uh, and this will be the third one, right? And so this is, we're learning this, uh, as we go along, but I do think that there are different, um, uh, different thoughts when it comes to how people choose who, who they're going to vote for. Uh, the, the Latino Policy Forum just put out a, uh, a, a poll, uh, that largely said that Latino voters were not voting on racial lines, uh, in 2023, right? So, um, you know, I think that may be the same for, for many, uh, demographics in, in this city. I'm not sure where it's, where it's going to land us, but I do think that we've got to stop being attached to the antiquated thinking when it comes to how people vote. Has your campaign done any polling recently? We've, we've done some recent polling um, uh, a few weeks ago, actually. We just got those numbers back. Uh, and listen, I think the, the, the one piece that is jumping out at me uh, is that there are so still so many people in the city that are undecided. Um, That's really amazing, isn't it? Isn't it? it, it For the the big crop that we have, every uh, I was talking to uh, some reporter, I can't even remember who the other day, and they said, well, you know who the winner is right now? The winner is undecided. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and that's true. And and so for a campaign like ours, we've been really grassroots and haven't gotten any of the big um, kind of institutional money to move forward. When we see, you know, anywhere from 18 to 25 to 30 percent, depending on what poll you look at, uh, undecided in this race, it, it gives us hope that we can keep fighting and trying to get 
uh, those folks on our side. What also is is damning, I think, Joan, is that we're not having we're talking about splitting the black vote and having all these conversations, but we're not having a real conversation about the you know sixty to seventy percent of Chicagoans who are not going to vote. Um, we're going to have a turnout, uh, and hopefully it's higher than normal. But I, I don't see it, you know, being forty, right? Forty percent. And so uh, mm-hmm. we need to start talking about that. How we can get people back engaged in the political process, where there's not just thirty-five percent of Chicagoans who are making a decision for our future. We need to take a break, Cam. I'm talking to um, Illinois State Representative Cam Buckner, who is also going to be on your. February 28th ballot if you live in the city of Chicago as a mayoral contender. We've been getting texts uh, from our listeners about questions they want me to ask the candidates. A number of the questions have to do with police and public safety. When we come back, Cam, I'm going to try to smash all of the questions into one or two cogent thoughts that we can talk with when we come right back after this. There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone. Chicago's Progressive Talk. WCPT820, where facts matter. This is Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive on WCPT820. As part of our continuing effort to talk to the candidates who want to be the next mayor of Chicago and have them answer your concerns and your questions, today we are joined by Illinois State Representative Cam Buckner, who will be on your ballot if you live in the city of Chicago on February 28th. Cam, as I said before we went to the break, we've gotten a number of texts from people who are talking about different aspects of policing. Uh, one person wanted to know what uh, the next mayor can do uh, to help police uh, solve all the backlog of cases that um, haven't been solved. Somebody else wanted to know, you know, we know that there are bad cops, but what can we do to help the good cops uh, who can maybe make the department better? Those are just a couple of the questions that people are talking about basically they seem to want to know how can we make policing smarter more effective and more equitable what what can you say to them well i'll say this um you know when we look at the fact that we are under federal consent decree which is a requirement from the federal government not a suggestion but a requirement uh and Currently, we are at 5% compliance, 5% compliance with this decree, which means that we're 95% uh, not where we're supposed to be. Uh, and so, first off, as the only person in this race has had any real experience with the Department of Justice and a federal consent decree um, and a major city's police department. I did work on this when I worked for the mayor of New Orleans. Uh, we've got a long way to go. And what this mayor and the superintendent did, instead of finding ways to um, to comply with the consent decree, they fired uh, the the employee over at CPD who was in charge uh, of this, Officer uh, Boyk, um, uh, because he said something that the, that the superintendent didn't like when it came to staffing, right? And so now we're, we're probably substantially way off track when it comes to that even that five percent that we did have. Um, we got a lot of things that we can do, but first we got to be able to to do our work. 
um, based on the consent decree requirement right now. I will make that happen day one. But we, all, we also, another question was about a backlog of cases. Um, we've got to provide our detectives with more ability to actually close cases. We've got to put more detectives uh, on the job. For anybody who hasn't been on the other side uh, of a murder in this city uh, where their family members have been murdered and you're waiting for their phone call uh, to figure out what's going on with the case, I've, I've, I've had that phone call way too many times in my family. Um, and, you know, people are looking for answers. And so with a 50% clearance rate, uh, we are putting people uh, in a really bad position uh, and we're not giving them the closure that they need, right? And so we had to be able to do that. I've filed legislation in Springfield about cold cases and bringing back up cases so we can find a way to get to the bottom of them. Um, I also think that we got to create more transparency and more accountability. But back to the clearance rate specifically, um, I am going to propose uh, later on this week, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll tease it here, or I'll, I'll, I'll scoop it here, um, that the CPD gets rid of the clearance rate. Um, the clearance rate is an opaque number. Uh, it doesn't tell the real story. Clear cases are not solved cases. There can be a case that is clear today from 20 years ago, and it will be it will go on this year's clearance rate numbers. Um, also, there are uh, a bunch of cases that have been closed with moniker of ex- exceptionally closed, uh, which means they know who did it, but they refuse. Well, for some reason, they're they're not able to go um, and and try to uh, lock these folks up and charge them. And so, listen, we need a very clear um, solved crime, solved violent crime rate numbers so people can know what's going on and CPE can be accountable to these numbers for the people of Chicago. So you're saying you think the clearance rate is an empty statistic? It is. I mean, I think it's opaque. Right? It, it comes from the FBI. The FBI uses their rate, um, that, that rubric, um, and they do it their way for a number of reasons, but uh, FBI cases are not the same as a municipal police department. Right? There are a bunch of differences there, uh, and we've used them, and, and we've seen this administration and other administrations twist and turn the numbers to make them look better. But listen, clearance rate cases are not closed cases. Let's have a real conversation with Chicago about if we're closing murders so we can bring some real closure to people, but also to find out if CPD is actually doing their job. Interesting. So if we're going to get rid of the clearance rate, how are we going to judge whether or not our police department is effective in solving crimes? I think the simplest answer is normally the right answer, Joan. Uh, if there are 797 murders in Chicago in 2021, um, the, the, the the rubric we put to, put together um, or the equation we put together should be how many of those cases uh, were solved. How many of that 797? This is easy math. We don't have to do the, the tough new math uh, that is, um, you know, uh, attached to clearance rates. Let's just be very clear. If in a certain calendar year, there were a certain X, X number of murders. How many of those murders were solved uh, within X amount of time? And that should give us a percentage of how we're actually solving cases in this city. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and are there other communities that that look at their statistics in the way that you want Chicago to? There, there are some who have done some internal stuff where they've not necessarily changed the entire equation. But they've uh, put those more uh, contemporaneous numbers on their dashboards, on their um, you know comp stat, is what a lot, of, a lot of police departments call it, call it, uh, where there is a running tally uh, on their website to figure out what cases have been actually cleared or closed um, this year, how many people have been brought to justice. Um, and, there, and those places usually have some real coordination between the criminal justice apparatus. I, I've said this before. I think one of the big issues in Chicago is that, um, you know, uh, we've got the, the mayor and their superintendent and the chief judge and the state's attorney and the sheriff 
Uh, and I don't think that they coordinate um, in a way that has been very helpful. In fact, uh, I've said that the mayor has spent so much time fighting with those other folks that she can fight for Chicago. Um, and so um, there, there are places that do some version of this. I think we will have to tweak it to make sure it is right for Chicago. But uh, literally putting up a, a clearance rate number that's not necessarily a real picture is not helping one, create a better bond between communities and police, and two, uh, calling us to task of what we're not doing right. Interesting. That's a really interesting idea. I've never heard anybody talk about it or explain it th- that way. And, you know, I didn't realize that a crime from 20 years ago that was suddenly solved improves the clearance rate statistic as it exists today. I think when people when people see that, they assume that means that if the clearance rate is 15 percent, it's 15 percent of the crimes that have been committed you know, recently. I think there's just sort of an assumption that that's what it is, um, that uh, that's what it is reflective of. Um, why do you think Mayor Lightfoot continues to stick with David Brown when virtually everybody else thinks he's got to go? You know, I, I don't really understand this. Uh, when you look at the numbers and you look at what's going on, you look at people in Chicago, there's one thing that's unifying most folks in the city, and that's the fact that they think that uh, this superintendent is not prepared to, to move this department and this city forward. Uh, I don't know if the mayor is keeping him as a human shield. I don't know what it is that she's doing. Um, so people can you know blame him instead of blaming her on, on certain things. But we got to stop whatever is going on because it, it's not working. And, and the truth of truth of this, John, I, I in my state rep district, I cover five separate police districts, right? And so I get to know and have gotten to know uh, everybody from beat cops to caps uh, sergeants to lieutenants to um, district commanders and deputy district commanders and, and district, deputy district chiefs. And we've got some really great talent in the pipeline in CPD, in CPD. People who are from this city, who know this city, who know this department, and who know what we need to turn this thing around immediately. Uh, and so I think we're doing them a huge disservice by not uh, trying to find a new leadership within our ranks. But also, as we'll say, we're losing a generation of folks who are actually good cops. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I've got family members who have decided to put down their gun and badge here and go pick up one elsewhere and, and leave Chicago because they don't feel that the department is moving in the right direction. Um, and so not only are we lo- uh, losing the people who are next up to be superintendent, but we're losing the folks who are next up after them as well as they don't want to stay here and go to the ranks because they don't feel that there's real leadership uh, at CPD. One of, the, one of the criticisms of the idea of promoting from within, though, is that you know, we have this consent decree which seems to imply that the training needs to be better and perhaps the culture needs to change at the police force. Can somebody who came up through that culture, yes, they would have maybe the respect of their fellow officers, but if you've come up through that culture, are you going to be the best person to change it? I, I think so. Uh, you know, I'll I push back on that a little bit. Uh, because, listen, there, there are bad apples in every single profession, in every single industry. Uh, but there are also people who really want to do right and really want to get this right, and people who understand um, the institutional, I think, knowledge and background that we need to move folks forward. Listen, John, I'm a, spring, I'm a, I'm a politician who, who is in the state uh, capital, and uh, we know how horrible Springfield has been from an ethical standpoint. Uh, but because of that, I have to make sure that we have the strongest ethic laws uh, in, this, in, this, in this country uh, because I'm... I, I'm, I'm, I want to protect those of us who do this the right way. And so, uh, you know, I think the best, the best uh, chance that we have in doing that is for, for folks who actually have been there, I've been in Springfield, uh, and I know what we need to do better. And so um, for, I think the same thing applies for CBD. 
folks who understand the, the, the department, who know what we've done wrong in the past, who understand the history, but also have a, a vision for the future on how to fix things. I'm talking to State Representative Cam Buckner. He is one of the nine folks that you will see on your ballot if you live in the city of Chicago running to be the next mayor. We are... Um, I'm Cam, I'm going to give you a, I'm going to ask you some quick questions, but I'm going to give you a preview of what's coming up next today. As a matter of fact, just about an hour ago in Crane's Chicago business, one of Mayor Lightfoot's supporters uh, wrote an op ed uh, about how the fact that we need to stick with uh, the mayor, particularly calling out her efforts in the uh, Invest Southwest sort of program. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to read you some of that and ask you about her efforts on Invest Southwest and other things when we come back. And in the, in the few seconds we have left, it's when people texted in their questions, a lot of them got really specific. You know, we tend to be big picture. We want to talk about crime, but, um, I got a lot of people texting in like, um, if the Bears leave, would you as mayor lobby the NFL for another, uh, football team? <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, so listen, I, I, I've been very clear about this. Um, I want the Bears to stay in Chicago. Uh, I wish the mayor would have done more in the beginning instead of kind of antagonizing them. Um, and I've also fought in Springfield to make sure that state dollars do not go to Arlington Heights to help uh, the Bears leave Chicago. But uh, if it's something that happens, I think that you know I would be open to having those conversations uh, just so folks understand the way it works. Um, the Bears would probably still get have veto power over whether or not another team can come into this market. Really? Uh, yeah, well, that's not right. There's some, there's some, there's some rules there in the NFL that people got to start thinking about as they think about whether or not we can get a new team. Uh, but I'll be open to doing what we have to do. But I think also we've got to be very um, intentional about what happens with Soldier Field. We've got beautiful real estate right there in the lakefront. Uh, it's underutilized today. It's a park district uh, facility. We've got to do a better job, I think, of programming that in a way that can be helpful for Chicago's future as well. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. We're going to continue our conversation with Cam Buckner. I'm going to continue to ask him your questions when we come back after this. Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT 820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. Now back to Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. I'm talking with uh, mayoral candidate, State Representative Cam Buckner. And just about an hour or so ago, one of Mayor Lightfoot's supporters published an op-ed in Crane's Chicago Business. I'm going to take out some of the puffery <laughs> and the PR, and I'm going to share with you, Mr. Buckner, uh, some of what this person writes as her accomplishments. The Lightfoot Administration's signature initiative, Invest Southwest, exemplifies Mayor Lightfoot's commitment in equitable and inclusive growth that will benefit this city long after she leaves City Hall. Through this initiative, Mayor Lightfoot has helped pump $2.2 billion in investment commitments into 10 historically forgotten communities on the south and west sides. This revitalization project is reversing a trend of disinvestment that for decades has kept affordable housing, small businesses, job opportunities, and other resources and amenities out of our communities. 
your reaction to that? Well, well, listen, I'll be very clear about this. I grew up in one of those forgotten communities. Uh, and I live in one of those forgotten communities today. I don't need someone to give me a tour uh, of the south side of Chicago to show me the disinvestment. I see it every day. It's happening right outside uh, my door right now. Um, I applaud the thought process or the, the kind of the thought about Invest Southwest, but it's puffery. It is, it is, it is, it is also, it's, it's a public relations program and not really a real investment program. But the truth of the matter is it's not $2 billion dollars um, it's about $757 million of, of actual work uh, that we still have not seen anything come to fruition yet. I've got a Invest Southwest quote-unquote project literally uh, about 500 feet from my house here on, on 43rd Street. And, um, you know, we're happy to see development, but this doesn't do what we need it to do for our communities. In fact, it, it is a little bit, well, very disappointing that uh, black communities uh, in, in Chicago have been asked to do so much with so little for so long that this is now supposed to be the, the, the raised bar of what uh, development looks like. If you look at the list of Invest Southwest uh, projects, there are things like putting money into a horse stable for CPD horses in South Shore. How is that going to make anybody safer? How is that going to make young people who live in that part of my district uh, feel like they're really invested in? We look at money in this city and development. Let's talk about real money. The casino itself is a $2 billion project. The Lincoln Yards project is a $7 billion project. The 78 is a $6 billion project. The one central project uh, in my neck of the woods, in my district, which I've been pushing back on, uh, is a $20 billion contract, uh, a project. And so um, to, to say that black folks should be excited by this, uh, it's just folks who are out of touch who don't know uh, this community. Uh, and and I'm, I'm disappointed that this is something that's supposed to be uh, really moving us forward. I, I think it's Mr. Mark. Hmm. Talk about one central yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, just for those who don't know, One Central is a proposed development uh, in between Lakeshore Drive and, and Soldier Field uh, that is supposed to uh, create a transit hub and then a mixed use, uh, both commercial and residential, um, being of a project, a $20 billion project, which uh, $6.5 billion of that money would come from Springfield. Um, when I first got to the General Assembly, there was some legislation that was pushed through. Uh, to start the process of giving uh, developers $6.5 billion in state funds to move forward and, and to put it into context. It's like almost like an, a TIF for the entire state for this one project. Um, uh, I pushed back on that. There was some more chicanery that happened in Springfield where folks tried to sneak the money through, and I fought tooth and nail uh, to slow down and, and to stop what was going on. Uh, and so currently um, uh, there has been no money given to this project uh, because I don't think that the process has been proper. I feel like they've left people in the community out and haven't talked about uh, the things that are important when you put a big project like that in somebody's backyard. And so uh, I think there's an RFP out right now for a feasibility study, which I hope will give us um, some fair third-party analysis of whether or not this should even move forward. Uh, but I'll continue to fight for my constituents because you can't you can't have development happen to people. It has to happen with people. And secondly, you can't leave Illinois taxpayers on the hook or for something like this, especially when we're having a hard time even paying to educate our young people and to make our people safe. You said that there's a you're going to look at this feasibility study, but my sense is from the people I've talked to and the neighbors in that area, that it's not an idea that seems to have much support outside of City Hall, specifically outside of the mayor's office. Is that your sense? It is my sense. And listen, and I've been, I've, even before the mayor became mayor, 
uh, I was fighting about this uh, in the beginning of, of 2019 uh, when when it first came to my to my desk. Uh, and I have not heard the support from people in the community. There are some folks from outside the community who have come to me and say that they support it. Uh, and, and there are also folks who have told me to trade lightly. Uh, fighting a developer that's able to put forth a twenty billion contract. But Jonah, I'm in this role for a reason. Uh, I do this work for people for a reason, uh, and I'll continue to fight uh, for the right things for the people I represent. In other words, uh, tread lightly. You don't want to offend somebody with uh, deep donor pockets. Yeah, that's 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 what I've heard. Uh, but as I said in the beginning of this segment. Uh, I've been uh, the underdog my entire life, John, and I'm not scared to fight when it's right. And so uh, I'll continue to make sure that, that the people who I represent, that their voices are heard, and that we don't write these folks a um, blank check or a $6.5 billion check uh, to, to, you know, build whatever it is that they're trying to build without um, real accountability to the people who live there. Well, uh, speaking of not necessarily accountability, but um, working, um, <laughs> working with other, uh, political entities. It kind of, my listeners kind of feel that, uh, the whole announcement that there was going to be a NASCAR race seems to have been done in consultation with no one except perhaps NASCAR. And, uh, one of the things that one of my listeners wanted me to ask each of the candidates is, what do you think of the fact that we're bringing a NASCAR race to Chicago, and what do you think of the way it happened? Yeah, I think it's been heavy-handed and haphazard. I think uh, this administration continues to show that they have no regard for the people of Chicago, for the residents of Chicago, uh, and they don't want their input. And, and so one thing I've said is that as mayor of Chicago, I will stop uh, treating uh, the people of Chicago like they are my subjects, which is what the mayor has done, and stop treating the city council like they are uh, her employees. Uh, which they're not. Uh, she needs to be working with the city council. I represent uh, Grand Park. And so NASCAR is going to rip right straight through my state representative district. And I know that the older people in that area uh, were not apprised of this. They didn't get uh, the respect from the mayor to talk through this, right? And so um, I, I think it's extremely problematic that we have these conversations, that we were talking about this and we didn't have a real conversation. And people ask, so maybe, you know, what, what does a, what would have a, a real conversation have done? Well, I think it would have laid bare some of the issues, right? Some some of the issues with pollution um, that, that I've talked to the Illinois IEPA um, about dealing with, some of the issues with uh, traffic and congestion and safety, um, about all of the overtime and the first responder uh, resources that we're going to need there. There can be other places in the city, especially if we have a shortage uh, around here. And then just little things like um, if you talk to anybody who runs a museum in the museum campus, the field museum, the aquarium, the planetarium, they'll tell you how tough it is for them uh, to make their numbers during Lollapalooza, right? Because they're pretty much cut off from the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, so you add this on top of that, it's going to be another week or two of, of uh, problems for, for them and, and, and problems for Chicago once they get to these institutions. We're just going to have a real conversation about how we move forward. Um, and I think that this NASCAR deal, um, was was extremely unilateral, extremely hand hand handed, and I'm disappointed that the mayor moved forward this way. I haven't read about this lately. I'm sure as the race itself approaches, we're going to be reading about this kind of thing nonstop. But there are reports that the Art Institute not only feels that it's going to have to close its doors during this race, but that because of the vibration, uh, that they may actually have to transport. 
a significant amount of their art to another location to keep it safe, to keep it from being damaged. Has anybody talked about those kinds of problems and those kinds of costs? Yeah, so I hadn't heard that, but it makes plenty of sense to me. And the truth of the matter is that when we have an actual open, transparent process, these things come to light because there's no way that any one person can think through um, you know, all of the contingencies and all of the issues that, that may happen. Uh, but if you bring it to the public, which this mayor promised to do by bringing it in the light, uh, then we're able to have those conversations. And unfortunately, uh, she's reneged on that promise. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, that's that's unfortunate. This thing, and none of us know the real numbers on, on how much it's supposed to bring in, but it's already seemed like it's going to cost Chicago more than it's worth. Well, it was, that was my next question to you. If you've seen any numbers, I mean, obviously the whole point is to bring uh, tourism to the city of Chicago, fill up those hotels. But have you seen any numbers? I mean, I've seen the at least the projected course, and people are already talking about, for, I mean, forget about the Art Institute having to close its doors and move some of its art away to protect it. I mean, the, the damage that could be done to Grant Park itself. Has there been any analysis of that? And also, one other thing, I don't know if you saw this, um, the first draft of where the course would be. I don't know much about NASCAR, Cam, um, but the course, as I originally saw it, has two 90-degree right turns. How does that work when you're supposed to be going 100 miles an hour? What do you stop and signal? And then, you know, I just... I, I have a lot of questions about this, Mr. Buckner. Yeah, no, you, you didn't strike me as a NASCAR fan, so I'm glad that I heard <laughs> about um, But uh, I, I don't know. There's there's still more questions than answers uh, about how it's going to work physically and logistically. Um, and uh, also, as you said, what the numbers look like. I can guarantee you NASCAR has a good picture of what they're going to get out of this because if not, a big business like this wouldn't have moved forward. But the people of Chicago have no idea what we're going to get out of there and what, what it's going to cost us. We know... Once again, how much Alapalooza costs us every year for cleaning up. Um, mm-hmm. We know how much it costs us in resources when it comes to uh, our our, um, our first responders and police and fire and, and ambulance, uh, EMS uh, uh, resources. Uh, we have not been told, we have not been given a chance to get an understanding of what this means for Chicago, uh, which is, is wholly disappointing. I, I would put this up there uh, with the overnight uh, bulldozing of Maxfield and the parking meter deal. Uh, I will thing. never forgive Mayor Daly for that. I loved yeah, Miggs right. Field. <laughs> and, and, and listen, it's just, this is, once again, unilateral um, uh, kind of monarch type of administration that doesn't work for the people of Chicago. I'm speaking to State Representative Cam Buckner. He is one of the nine candidates running to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago. We're going to take a break and be back with one more segment with him right after this. Facebook. Message us. Instagram. Follow us. Twitter. Tweet us. They keep me connected. Let's get social on the socials. WCPT 820. Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT 820. Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Jonas Pazito. Live, local, and progressive. Returns right now on WCPT 820. I am speaking with Illinois State Representative Cam Buckner. He is running to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago. Okay, Cam, these questions are pouring in. This one is kind of a multi-part question, so I'm going to read the whole thing here. 
TIF funding. Are you for reforming or ending this program? Isn't the county city tax, aren't, I think, the county city taxpayers providing a banking function for developers? Shouldn't the government role in this program be to act as a liaison between bankers, community, and developers for much-needed development projects? TIF funding, the good, the bad, and the ugly. What do you think, Mr. Buckner? Yeah, listen, we, we have to absolutely change the tax financing system uh, in this city. When we look at the true spirit of TIF and when it was passed in 1983 uh, at the state level, what we were supposed to be doing, um, we have uh, ex- we have we have um, created some uh, really weird version uh, of that <laughs> today, and it's not doing what it's supposed to do, right? Um, we know uh, there are way too many communities that have uh, that should be benefiting from TIF so that not that they are not. And the, the reason that Invest Southwest even looks uh, like a successful program that from the outside in is because uh, TIFs have not worked for these communities, right? And so we've got to change it. We, I have called for true TIF reform for sunsetting uh, the TIFs that no longer need to exist in places that have now been completely developed um, and to uh, make sure we're doing the right thing because not only are we providing a banking function for developers, and I think that caller, uh, the texter is absolutely right, uh, but we also have to realize that we're uh, keeping money away from our schools when we do this, right? These are dollars that should be going to CPS uh, in a way that can help to educate our young people and put them on, on the path to be successful in the global, the global economy. And so, uh, listen, we need to perform. We need it like yesterday. Uh, but that, that will be one of the first things I begin to do as mayor of Chicago and uh, as the only person in this race who can, I think, hit the ground running on day one in Springfield based on my relationships in this current version of the state capitol with uh, the governor, the speaker, and the Senate president, uh, I think we can get that done uh, in short order. Another question that we got in here was on uh, the lack of affordable, safe, decent housing and programs to house the unhoused. Um, there has yeah. been a measure bandied about in city council that hasn't gone too far right now that would raise the percentage of uh, money collected off the real estate transfer tax raising the rate for properties of a million dollars or more and then taking that money and making it a dedicated fund to perhaps create more housing or more shelter beds. Your thoughts on that program or other ideas you have for solving this problem? So, yeah, there are 65,000 unhoused people in Chicago. 20,000 of those are young people of school age. And so we've got a real issue. We've got a real problem that we got to address. So the Bring Chicago Home initiative that you're talking about, Joan, which is a um, uh, 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 something that's been put forward by the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless. Uh, I agree with it. I support it. Um, in fact, it's not, it can't be passed at the city level. It has to be passed in Springfield. Uh, and when Mayor Lightfoot came to Springfield three years ago asking us to raise the real estate transfer tax, um, I was one of the state reps who stood up and refused to because she had no plan on where the money was going to go. Uh, and so, you know, once that cat was out the bag, it was going to be a problem. And so we said no until you figure out um, a real clear plan for uh, housing and security in Chicago, which she still has not done. So we have not raised that tax. But I will go to Springfield to ask for the real estate transfer tax on transactions of a million dollars or more to be raised. And I think we can get that done. I've already gotten the support from my colleagues in Springfield today uh, to do that. But we've got to be very specific about where we put that money. And so uh, I have a plan for putting $20 million of that into single family rehabs. Uh, in currently distressed neighborhoods, uh, another 20 to 40 million towards gap financing for new affordable 
uh, multifamily housing um, in Chicago, uh, another $10 million uh, towards uh, funding of re- uh, rehab for affordable multifamily properties via a program called the Trouble Building Initiatives, which exists today but does not have the money that it needs. Um, I've also talked about spending between 10 and $15 million to expand the city's network of non-congregate uh, homeless shelters, uh, another $20 million for new permanent supportive housing, and another 10 to $20 million for uh, reviving the New Homes for Chicago program uh, to create uh, affordable dwelling units on vacant city land. We've got to do all that. We've got to also uh, make sure the CHA and the, and the housing department are working together. And what I've called for is that in the Buckner administration, I will have a person in City Hall that is specifically tasked with affordable housing in Chicago. We're going to do all the work to make Chicago the most affordable housing-friendly city in America. Kim Buckner is one of three candidates that is going to be at the hideout tonight. Um, as a matter of fact, we probably have to let him go pretty fast because he'll need to get over there. Indivisible Chicago, our good friends Marge Halpern and Tom Moss are going to be talking to Cam, Chewy Garcia, and Brandon Johnson. They want Indivisible Chicago wants to bring a special spotlight on the candidates that they who they feel are the most progressive candidates. Would you say that's a fair label? Do you do you mind that label? Some people don't know whether or not they you know they're more comfortable with progressive or call me a moderate or middle of the road person. Um, do you mind being called a progressive in this context? I don't. I don't mind. I think the the, the core of of the ethos of progressivism is uh, folks who believe in moving us forward, right, and who believe in progress. And I have a record, right? I've got a voter record. I've got a, a record of things I've sponsored, uh, and my record makes me extremely progressive, right? When it comes to actually getting stuff done, not just from an ideological standpoint, but from, from the actions that I've been able uh, to lead on in Springfield. And so I'm happy. Uh, I've told folks that uh, you know I've, I've created some nuances by by calling myself a pro business progressive, which I am. Uh, someone who believes that that growth can help us uh, get where we need to go socially as well. But um, no, I don't mind the label at, at all. I'll take it. Um, we have. Um, <laughs> I I don't think that there's much that can be done about this. But one of our listeners texted in: um, Will the tax breaks given to Trump Tower negotiated by Ed Burke be rescinded? <laughs> I don't know that you have the power to do that, but. <laughs> Hey, well, I, I think I'm grateful for that question because um, what, one thing that I've been very clear about is that uh, there are things that we that we truly believe may be irreversible uh, that I want to take a look at uh, as soon as the transition begins, uh, including the, the Trump Tower tax breaks, including what we can do, um, you know, from a practical standpoint to recoup some of that money uh, in the um, in the parking meter deal. Right. I mean, the, if people look at that deal, uh, they'll see that the only thing that's really missing is an escalator clause. A clause that says, if you make this much money, you know, at this by this point in time, then the whole deal changes. Um, I'm not sure we can add that in there. I'm not sure what else we can do, but I think we got to look at ways we can um, can can kind of go back and change some of the things that we think are unchangeable. I think we've got to be bold and creative and find a way forward. Mm-hmm. Along those same lines, I know we don't have a whole lot of time left, and this is really a done deal, but a lot of our listeners wanted to know about, they wanted me to ask the mayoral candidates whether or not you fully support the idea of a casino in Chicago. Again, it's already done. It's in the works. The contracts are signed. I'm not sure that you could undo it even if you wanted to, but how do you feel about that? So I voted for the casino uh, in Springfield. Uh, I also voted for 
the reconfiguration of the effective tax rate there because the first version of the bill uh, didn't do, I think, what the city needed it to do. Um, and I'm not regretful about that vote. What I, what I am, what is problematic is that if I knew that this mayor was going to um, operate the same way she did with NASCAR without uh, bringing people in to have a conversation, I may not have voted for it. Um, you know, I assumed that she would bring the, the local older folks and, and, and the people in the community in. Uh, I don't have a problem with the casino in Chicago. My problem is the location. Uh, I think we, we're very, we've been very clear about making sure that the casino has to be able, has to be there where people can get to work from all across the city, but that it's not preying on Chicagoans, uh, that it's easy for tourists to come to, uh, and that we're not just uh, pulling more money out of the pocket for people who don't, who can't afford it. And then lastly, just from an infrastructure and development standpoint, um, I think both the temporary casino location and the permanent uh, casino locations are a bad idea from an infrastructure standpoint, from a congestion standpoint. Uh, it's going it's going to make things more difficult for people who live in those communities. And those are communities, right? Uh, it's downtown, it's River North, it's River West. People don't often uh, respect that, but these are communities and neighborhoods that people live in. Lady B, I don't hear Cam. Oh, I'm here. Oh, good, here. good. You dropped out for a second. I got scared. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. That's okay. Um, if you would like to hear more from uh, State Representative Cam Buckner, get your behind over to the hideout. The festivities start at 5 o'clock. Each of the three candidates is going to be interviewed for 30 minutes. And if you can't make it to the hideout, you should know that this Saturday at 4 o'clock following Edwin Eisendrath's radio show, we are going to play We're going to record what happens tonight, and we are going to play it on our radio station this Saturday at 4 o'clock. All of the Cam Buckner goodness here on WCPT. Cam, thank you so much for the time and the conversation. Thank you so much. Have a great week. You too. We are going to take a break. We are going to bring you some news at the top of the hour. And then we are going to be talking to another of the candidates who want to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago, asking her some of these same questions and other questions that you text in to us, 773-763-9278.